It's time, D-Heads. Disney Blue presents Disney On Demand. Every week, Disney Blue lets you relive the magic, the movies, and the memories with celebrity guests, the best of classic Disney, and breaking news on Disney's latest. So put on your ears and give it a little bibbidi-bobbidi-boo. Disney Blue's Disney On Demand is on the air! Now, here's your host, Jonathan Johnson. All right, all of you D-heads, you tuned in for another magical installment of Disney Blues, Disney On Demand, and Happy Easter. That's right, it is Easter weekend, and this week for show number 173, for the week of April 13th, 2017, we're going to take you into the future, into the wilderness, and maybe blow you up, because we have none other than Randall Kleiser stopping in here this week with the show. That's right, Randall Kleiser, who you may know is the director of the iconic film Grease. He was also the director of many Disney iconic films, including White Fang, Honey, I Blew Up the Kid, and Flight of the Navigator. He also made his way into being the director in the Disney parks with Honey, I Shrunk the Audience. And it doesn't stop there. He's also played a role in so many other movies, being a director for Big Top Peewee, as well as The Blue Lagoon. And Randall's going to stop in and talk about a variety of different things, what it's like working on these iconic Disney classics, being part of the cinematic classic in Greece, and so many other things, including what is he working on now. In addition, no Easter celebration would be complete without the D-Team. That's right, you have the questions, he has the answers, and Aaron is going to answer all your questions, and I want to know. We have the latest from the short leash, as Dominic is going to give you those tips and trips to make the most out of your short Walt Disney World vacation. We also have Paige with the symphony for your ears in the magical music review, and we have Randy, who's bringing you the latest from the Disney multimedia universe for your iPhones, your iPads, your Androids, and more. And let's not forget going deep into the vault with another Blu-ray and DVD you have to add to your collection, as Jason is going to be stopping in from the vault. We have tons of news hot off the D-Wired from Star Wars, Walt Disney World, Animal Kingdom, the Disney Channel, and so much more. So before we officially kick off our Easter celebration here, I do want to mention that DizRadio.com is probably sponsored by Castle and Dreams Travel. And Castle and Dreams Travel is a 100% free award-winning agency. They're going to help you plan, book, and prepare and make the most magical vacation that you could possibly have. They're going to treat you like family. They're going to open up those arms, walk you through the process, and give you a hug along the way. And they are going to treat you like family with their bilingual experts to even help you with any language barriers as well. So definitely check them out. Castle and Dreams Travel, the official sponsor of Diz Radio. So all of you D-heads, with that said, spring has finally sprung. We're all dying those Easter eggs. We're getting ready for my favorite Cadbury eggs fresh out of the fridge and so many other things. So let's officially kick off our Easter celebration for show number 173 for the week of April 13th, 2017. And come on, who isn't ready for Peter Cottontail? Be right back, all VD heads. Jelly beans for top 
should Maybe if you're extra good You will add to Easter eggs your way and their dealings with stressed envelope to Davis and Kirk right down that uh, Hi, I'm Ben Savage. Happy Easter. Uh, listen, I'm supposed to be hosting the Happy Easter Parade and it's about to begin and I can't seem to find my co-host, Danielle Fischel. And I don't know what to do. Ah, hey, Danielle. Oh, hi, Ben. Happy hi. Easter, everybody. Isn't this place just great? Look what I ran into. J.D. Ross. Yeah, she literally ran into me and it's a good thing, too. Happy Easter, but we gotta get backstage. Everyone's waiting for us. Come on, let's go. Now? Come on, yeah, okay. let's go. Places, everybody! Come on, people, let's go! Genius, on your marks! Wow, look at this place! I know, this is absolutely incredible. Yeah. Hey, knock him down, big guy. High five, nice job. Oh, oh, there's Simba. He's so cute. There's Mr. and Mrs. Easter Bunny. Oh, wow. And check it out. One minute to Mary is definitely on time. Hi. You know, guys, I wonder if she gets frequent flyer money. Lower the phone! Come on! Where's my money? The big cheese himself said, right. Happy Easter. This is great. Happy Easter, J.D. Hey, look, there's right, Peter. Minnie, to your floats. Happy Easter, hey, Peter. Hey, you know what? Everyone's flying in for the big parade. Oh, uh, wait a second. Speaking roll. of big parades, aren't you two supposed to be leading the marching band? Yeah, where are they? Oh, it's just happening in five minutes ago. Direct from sunny Florida, it's the Walt Disney World Happy Easter Parade. Celebrating 25 years of fun and fantasy in the most magical place on Earth. With your hosts, Boy Meets World's Ben Savage and Danielle Fischel. And from the Disney Channel, Walt Disney World Inside Out's J.D. Roth. Join all your Disney friends for television's biggest Easter celebration. Plus, get an inside look at Walt Disney World's exciting new attractions. Now, from Main Street, USA, in the Magic Kingdom, here are Ben Savage and Danielle Fischel. All right, happy Easter, everyone. All right, Danielle, we got to hurry up. It's ready to begin, huh? I can't believe we made it. Oh, I can, and I all know that we are in a great Easter parade today. All right, so let's get going, and uh, let's let the parade begin. Ooh, happy Easter. All right. Hi, this is Randall Kleiser, director of White Fang, Honey, I Blew Up the Kid, and Flight of the Navigator, and you are listening to Disney On Demand.
Happy Easter, D-Heads, from me down here in the vault. You know, it's these special times that we get to sit back, relax, and actually be thankful for the things that we have in front of us. Easter, to me, has always been a time for family, and any time that you can get together with family and friends is always a special memory-making time. Whether it's dying eggs or sitting with the older generation listening to stories of times gone by, Easter is always a time of rebirth, regeneration, and renewal. So during this time, take a moment, listen to the podcast, of course, but then reflect. Think about the new things that have entered your life or the new things you'd like to have enter into your life and make those dreams come true. With the sun now just warming the cold earth and the beautiful tulips just preparing to bloom, think of that as your time to reflect and open up to the idea it is a brand new world. So whether you're eating chocolate bunnies or a beautiful spiral ham, remember it's the times that you're together with family and friends and opening up your mind to new ideas that make Easter 2017 all that more enjoyable. Happy Easter, guys, and have a great one. See ya! It's Disney Blues. Disney On Demand. You hear that? It's the winds of change. Here's your host, Jonathan Johnson. All right, all of you D-heads, I hope you enjoyed the official kickoff for show number 173 for the week of April 13th, 2017, as we're getting ready to welcome the Easter Bunny. We're going to go hopping down that bunny trail, searching for Easter eggs, eating Cadbury's, and so much more as we prepare for the director, the icon, Randall Kleiser, stopping in here very shortly. Now, Randall, as I mentioned, you may know from a variety of Disney movies, including White Fang, Flight of the Navigator, Honey, I Blew Up the Kid, Honey, I Shrunk the Audience, as well as other iconic films like Grease, The Blue Lagoon, Big Top Peewee, and so many others. And Randall's going to stop in and chat with all of us here about a variety of those films and so much more. We also have the D-Team here. That's right, no Easter celebration could be here without the D-Team with Aaron, Dominic, Paige, Randy, and Jason all stopping in here this week. Now, before we jump into news hot off the D-Wire and other ways to stay connected here at the show, I do got to extend a very special shout-out and a happy birthday to our D-Team member, Randy. Yes, Randy, who you know does Disney Multimedia here at the show, and he is celebrating his birthday. So happy birthday weekend to DT member Randy. And remember, drop him a line and so much more. Thank you for being part of the team, and I hope your birthday is magical this weekend. So, before we jump into the news hot off the D-Wire here, everybody, I do got to give you all the different ways you can stay connected here at the show. And first and foremost, you can always visit our official website at DizRadio.com. That's D-I-Z Radio.com. There you can find our full list of past shows, the complete podcast archives, our latest news blogs, and more right there on our official website at DizRadio.com. D-I-Z Radio. Com. You can also connect up with us all over the social media outlets on Facebook at facebook.com slash Disney On Demand. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, and many other places. Just search Disney On Demand, Disney Blue, that's B-L-U, or Diz Radio, D-I-Z Radio. All of which are going to help you find our fun, unique, quirky, magical little show. And remember, if you just can't wait and you need to stay connected instantly, you're just waiting to hear all of our voices in your ears every single week along with our guests, all you have to do is go to iTunes or Stitcher Radio and get the latest shows right there on your iPhone, your Android, your mobile device of your choice, the tablet, just by subscribing right there. You can search Disney On Demand, Diz Radio, or Disney Blue. Subscribe and get the latest shows as they get released right there on your device of choosing to listen to. And remember, I do talk really fast. I'm excited. I'm always full of energy. 
So if you can't keep up with all these links, all you have to do is go to DizRadio.com, D-I-Z-Radio.com. We have all the links there as well, including ways to stay connected with the D-Team and so much more. So all of you D-Heads, with that said, it is time to jump into the news hot off that D-Wire. And how about Star Wars heroines are now taking the center stage in an all-new miniseries, Forces of Destiny. Yes, with Star Wars Celebration going on this weekend, and I wish I could be there, but the all-new animated miniseries was announced by Disney and Lucasfilm this last Wednesday that's going to be the foreground of the heroines of the Star Wars saga. Now, the Star Wars Forces of Destiny are going to feature two to three minute long video shorts that are going to explore fresh adventures of pivotal characters, new and old, including Rey, Jin Erso, Sabine Wren, Princess Leia, Ahsoka Tano, and many others. Now, the shorts are going to premiere on Disney's YouTube channel in July, ahead of a two-part special later in the year on the Disney Channel. Now, Felicity Jones, Daisy Ridley, Ashley Eckstein, as well as many others, are going to continue on with their voice characters in the Star Wars Celebration characters as well. So we're going to get all the original voice actors behind them to reprise those roles and make it fun. Now, the stories are also going to be backed by a new line of toys from Hasbro, including a new adventure figures that's going to be a fusion between traditional dolls and action figures, as they're putting it. Now, the Star Wars Forces of Destiny is for anyone who has been inspired by Leia's heroism, Rey's courage, or Ahsoka's tenacity, said Kathleen Kennedy, president of Lucasfilm. As she has also stated, we are thrilled that so many of the original actors are reprising their roles in these shorts they are going to capture the small moments and everyday decisions that shape who these characters are in a new, fun way for people to experience the Star Wars film franchise. Now, fans attending the Star Wars celebration in Orlando that did kick off today on April 13th in Orlando are going to see a sneak peek of the Star Wars Forces of Destiny during the Heroines of Star Wars panel on Friday, April 14th. I, for one, am excited for this as Star Wars continues to expand and get bigger and bigger. Now, moving away from the galaxy far, far away, let's get into the Disney Channel. And how about Landry Bender visiting the set of Raven's Home? Yes, ever since it was announced that Raven Simone would be returning to the Disney Channel as the psychic with visions that always seem to get her in trouble as Raven Baxter for the new series, Raven's Home. Now, immediately everyone wanted to know if other of the alums would be making appearances, including her former That's So Raven co-star, Annalise Vanderpool, as she is going to reprise her role as Chelsea once again. So, you can put that one to bed as... She is going to be coming back as well, which I always thought Chelsea was the most fun on that show. Now, once again, it's only natural for fans to wonder if other familiar faces are going to be there. Annalise took to Instagram this week to share a photo of her young cast members and none other than Landry Bender. Now, the best friends whenever and Crash and Bernstein star headed to the set of Raven's Home where she's got to spend more time with many of the kids who are going to be starring on this all-new series. Now, ever since Girl Meets World went above and beyond all the expectations, which I think that is a fantastic show, I am sad to see that one go off the air, but now we can get ready for Raven's Home as it is going to be happening coming up very soon and it seems like everyone's getting wrangled together to do some table reads already. Now, since we are talking about the Disney Channel, let's get into puppies and things like that and how about Disney Junior's puppy dog pals. It's bonding families, friendship, and being a good sibling. Now this is an all new Disney Junior show that is coming for preschoolers called Puppy Dog Pals. Now we did mention this in previous episodes here at Disney On Demand with producer Sean Coyle and Disney Junior's director of original programming, Diane. They went up to Los Angeles to really present the Puppy Dog Pals 
to many different outlets. Now this is going to be a great new series. It was created by comedian Harlan Williams, who also voices Bob on the show. And the series follows the adventures of Bingo and Raleigh, a pair of pug brothers who have big hearts and a thirst for adventure. Now each 11 minute story, two are paired in each episode. The dogs learn about collaboration, friendship, problem solving, and creativity. So it is a full half an hour TV show with two different 11 minute stories much like what Mickey Mouse Clubhouse used to do. Now the general setup is that while Bob, an inventor, is at work, the dogs will have a big adventure that's often unknowingly set off by Bob himself. Now as they have released in their official press release, they said kids are a lot smarter than we give them credit for. Now we had that on our minds moving forward, trying to just tell the best stories possible and stories for kids, and this is great films that we can't wait bring to the Disney universe. Now with that in mind, Puppy Dog Pals works as we see as dogs manage to hatch a plan, travel great distances, as well as complete their missions, all in a matter of eight hours that Bob is away for work. I think it's going to be a great, fun TV series, and Puppy Dog Pals does debut tomorrow, Friday, April 14th at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, and it is going to be a two back-to-back episodes on the Disney Channel to kick off that premiere, so it is definitely going to be fun. Now, moving away from the Disney Channel, let's get into the Walt Disney World Resort, and how about Club 33? Now, we all love Club 33, especially if you are somebody that goes to Disneyland, and how about one of the most exclusive, hard-to-get-into-clubs in all of Disneyland, is going to be making its way to the Walt Disney World Resort. Yes, Club 33 is officially coming to Orlando sometime in the future, and it's going to give guests a chance to finally be part of an exclusive action. Now, there's not a lot of details yet, but according to many different Disney outlets, Walt Disney World is set to put out its very own Club 33. Now, many people know that Club 33 has always been a great, fun thing to get a hold of. Well, one, if you could afford it, and two, with the waiting list. One of the big things that people tend to forget is Club 33 has a membership fee of $50,000. Yes, so you better be either saving up, saving those pennies, or just be well off to begin with. And it also has annual dues of $15,000 as well as many waiting lists. But rumors are that there's going to be a Club 33 location at many different places, including Magic Kingdom, Epcot, Hollywood Studios, and Disney's Animal Kingdom. Now, if you do get a membership for any of these locations, they are saying that this membership will not be able to be used in California, Tokyo, or Shanghai. So how many of you would want to get onto this? Really be part of this luxury, one-of-a-kind exclusive? Now, here's the thing. Is it really exclusive where you want to be part of it because of how exclusive it is? Or to be part of it just so you can feel like you're part of this something exclusive of the Disney Resort? But either way, rumors are Club 33 is coming to the Walt Disney World Resort. Now, since we are talking about the Walt Disney World Resort, let's get into classic attractions and how about the Jungle Cruise, yes, and The Rock, yes, Dwayne Johnson, the actor who dives headfirst into all of his projects, went to the Jungle Cruise this last week, yes, he went on to the Jungle Cruise in research, as he said, for his upcoming film. Now, he went on the Jungle Cruise, and hopefully he got to see the backside of water, and he did take some fantastic photo ops, of course, for Disney PR, publicity, whatnot. But the funniest thing comes when The Rock posted on Instagram saying that there was a woman, while everyone was taking pictures, I swear she was taking a picture of my booty. That is pretty funny right there. Now, Dwayne Johnson has actually been attached to star on the Jungle Cruise film since 2015. Now, in this time, he has done a lot of great films, including Central Intelligence, Fast 8, as well as working on the remakes of Jumanji and many other things, including Moana and many others. But let's just say 
He was doing the research. If you were one of those people that got to be there and have, you know, a celebrity just pop up and be there. But like I said, this has been all over online. It's not new news, but I thought it was just the funniest thing that uh, he was recognizing that a woman was taking picture of his butt. But they are saying that the film is going to be a period piece in the vein of Humphrey Bogart's The African Queen, which I personally love that film, actually. Humphrey Bogart is fantastic in that film. So let's just see what happens with The Jungle Cruise. And since we are at the Walt Disney World Resort, how about the rumored gondola system? Yes, the one that everybody has talked about so many times. They are saying that it's going to be ready in time for the Star Wars Lands to debut. Now, not too many details have been released on this, but we all know that the gondola system is supposed to be getting into place because, let's face it, building a new monorail or monorail extensions just isn't in the budget and isn't going to happen. But now the Disney's rumored gondola system may be ready for a Star Wars Land debut coming up in the upcoming years. And also with that, that's going to mean that there's going to be a lot more work on the table. And how about Orlando's Disney World hiring more than 1,000 positions coming up? That's right. If you want to work for the Walt Disney World Resort, now is your time to apply. Because Disney World in Orlando, well, of course it's in Orlando. I guess if you're listening to this show, you know the difference between Disneyland and Disney World. It, they are going to be filling more than 1,000 positions this spring, the company officially released this last week. Now, the company is looking to fill a variety of full-time and part-time positions at all four theme parks, two water parks, and the ESPN Y World of Sports Complex, Disney Springs, and over 20 resort hotels. Now, the positions include everything from food and beverage, bus drivers, lifeguards, and parking attendants. Now, they might not be the most glamorous positions, but hey, you got to get your foot in the door at some time. Now, also, let's get away from all that and get back into the movies. And how about Pirates of the Caribbean? Yes, Dead Men Tell No Tales. I personally am excited for this film because I thought the last installment of the Pirates franchise was fantastic. I thought the story was good, it was a darker tone, it was really up there with the first film I felt. But on April 21st, guests at Disney's Hollywood Studios inside of the Walt Disney World Resort are going to be able to watch an extended preview of the upcoming Pirates of the Caribbean Dead Men Tell No Tales movie. Now the placement is expected to be inside One Man's Dream, the mini Walt Disney Museum, and the movie will hit theaters on May 26th, and Disney Disney is starting very early with a lot of hype and expectations coming from this film. Now, nobody has really seen too many different things so far from this other than the teaser trailer that is out there, but the movie is based on the classic Disneyland attraction, as we already know, and this is going to be the fifth installment in the Pirate franchise. Now, we also heard that Orlando Bloom is going to return as Will Turner, so I am excited for that as well. So get ready, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Men Tell No Tales, the preview is coming to the Walt Disney World Resort at the Disney Hollywood Studios. And finally here for news, one of the last things, it is Star Wars Celebration taking place this weekend. That's right, Star Wars Celebration, one of those things I wish I could be at, but I can't. You know, I'm a father of four, I can't just drop everything and head out that way. But if you want to see all the action, if you want to stay connected, definitely look up the Star Wars Celebration on YouTube because you will be addicted. I think I pretty much leave it streaming all weekend long, as you can watch all the panels and everything live right there as it happens. So, with all that said, all VD heads, it is time to wrap up news here. We're going to continue on with our Easter celebration for show number 173 for the week of April 13th, 2017. And before I let you go, I do want to mention that Diz Radio is probably sponsored by Castle and Dreams Travel. And Castle and Dreams Travel is 100% free agency. They're going to treat you like family, give you those big hugs, and walk you through the most magical vacation that you could possibly have. Definitely check them out, Castle and Dreams Travel, the official sponsor of Diz Radio. 
So all of you D-heads, with that said, it is time to press on as we have more coming from the D-team with Aaron, Dominic, Paige, Randy, and Jason, as well as Randall Kleiser, director of Grease, White Fang, Flight of the Navigator, and so many other classics as we continue on with our Easter celebration for show number 173 for the week of April 13th, 2017. And take it away, team. See, I'm an old friend of the Easter Bunny. So you come right along with me while I tell you all about it. All about it. All about it. Hey, the sun's about to come up, and that means just one thing for sure. The Easter Bunny is coming to town today. Here's hoping he's hippity-hopping your way. So straighten your bonnets and shine up all your shoes And hurry, there's no time to lose The Easter Bunny is coming to town today He's riding an engine instead of a sleigh Don't blink for even a second or he'll be gone he puffs in at quarter to dawn He'll be filling Easter baskets He'll be rolling eggs like mad Green in everything that's winter clad The Easter Bunny is coming to town today Here's hoping he's hippity-hopping your way so get your brushes and paints, give him a hand It's Easter throughout all the land a time in a young man's life. You up there for the gold? Yeah, it's all right. Well, it's out there. Just wait for somebody to pick it up. When he must face the world alone. He must discover who is the enemy and who is his friend. Both man and wolf must learn the first rule of the wild. Survival. And as they grow, they will discover that the greatest secret of survival is friendship. All he needs is a little bit of kindness. In a land where nature was the greatest challenge, they shared an incredible adventure. Holy mackerel. Burn him out. From Jack London's thrilling story. Ah, holy biscuits! Walt Disney Pictures presents Ethan Hawke of Dead Poet Society and one extraordinary wolf. In Jack London's White Fang, together they found the courage to survive. This is Oz Scott, director of Mr. Boogity, Bride of Boogity, Cheetah Girls, on and on and on. Coming to you on Disney On Demand. You have questions, we have answers. Let's dip our hands into the virtual mailbag and uncover the truth in I Want to Know. 
Hey, D-Heads, this is Aaron, and it's time again for another installment of I Want to Know. Hope everyone enjoyed our fireside chat last week. It was a lot of fun for the D-Team, too. Make sure and let us know what you thought. I think it'd be fun to do them every once in a while, if you guys like it. Well, the virtual mailbag is full, so let's reach in and see what questions we have for this week. Our first question is from Nolan G. of Georgia, and he writes, Aaron of Diz Radio, question about Disney's White Fang. I know it's based on the novel, and there was a sequel. I've never seen the sequel. Does it have the same actors? Is it, too, also based on the novel? Can you get these both on Blu-ray? Thanks for all the help, your dedicated D-head. Well, White Fang 2, Myth of the White Wolf. It was released in 1994. In order to save one of the last Alaskan native tribes, Fang bands together with a friend of his master to stop miners from destroying a sacred land. Well, the first movie was based on a book, but the sequel wasn't. David Fallon was one of the writers of the screenplay on the original movie, and he also wrote the screenplay for White Fang 2. There are only two actors that are in both films, Ethan Hawke as Jack Conroy and Jed as White Fang. However, both are uncredited in the second movie. Interesting fact about Jed, he was also in the movie John Carpenter's The Thing and The Journey of Natty Gann. Unfortunately, both movies have only been released on DVD, but they are available for digital download on Amazon. Our next question is from Gareth Heffler of Indiana, and he writes, First off, great show, Disney On Demand, and I loved the roundtable last week. It was so much fun. I have a question about Disney music. I am a collector of movie scores and soundtracks. Did Dis- Disney ever release one for two films, Fly the Navigator, and the other one is The Black Hole? Any help would be appreciated. Well, I love both these movies. The soundtrack for Fly the Navigator was released on January 1st, 1993 by Supertracks Music Group. Alan Silvestri is the composer. The soundtrack for The Black Hole was released on January 1st, 1979 by Buena Vista Records. John Barry is the artist. Well, our final question this week is from Kevin Milton of Colorado, and he writes, Diz Radio and I want to know? I've been in a debate with my wife for some time. She says I am completely wrong. At Universal Theme Park, they have Popeye things. I said that the Robin Williams movie is Disney made with another studio. She says I'm completely off the rocker. Who is right? Thank you in helping me win the battle. As we all know... Knowing is half the battle. Well, I enjoy the 80s reference there back to G.I. Joe. But there is quite a story to the movie Popeye. According to James Robert Parrish in his book Fiasco, A History of Hollywood's Iconic Flops, the idea for Popeye musical had its basis in the bidding war for the film adaptation of the Broadway musical Annie between the two major studios vying for the rights, Columbia and Paramount. When Robert Evans found out that Paramount had lost the bidding for Annie, he held an executive meeting in which he asked about comic strip characters 
that they had the rights to, which they could also be used in order to create a movie musical. And one attendee said, Popeye. At that time, even though King Features Syndicate, now a unit of Hearst, retained the television rights to Popeye and related characters, with Hanna-Barbera then producing the series The All-New Popeye Hour under license from King Features, Paramount still held all theatrical rights to the Popeye character due to the studio releasing cartoons produced by Fleischer Studios and Famous Studios, respectively, that lasted from 1932 to 1957. Evans commissioned Jules Pfeiffer to write a script. In 1977, he said he wanted Dustin Hoffman to play Popeye opposite Lily Tomlin as Olive Oil with John Schlesinger directing. In December of 1979, Disney joined the film as part of a two-picture co-production deal with Paramount, which also included Dragon Slayer. Disney acquired the foreign rights through its Buena Vista unit. The deal was motivated by the drawing power that the studio's films had in Europe. The film was shot in Malta, the Sweet Haven set that was built for the film still exists is now a popular tourist attraction known as Popeye Village. According to Parrish, Robin Williams referred to this set as Stalag Alton. So I guess you win the battle of the debate, Kevin. Well, D-Heads, that concludes another installment of I Want to Know. Thanks for your great questions keep them coming. Send all your questions or comments to Aaron. E-R-I-N at DizRadio.com Make sure to include your name and city so I can give you credit. And remember, D-Heads, laughter is timeless, imagination has no age, and dreams are forever. We'll see you next week, D-Heads. You know, Ben, this party in the Magic Kingdom isn't Disney World's only Easter celebration. I know, I mean, the party is going on all over Disney's 43 square miles including the new Disney community of celebration. Well, Walt Disney always dreamed of recreating the values of yesterday in the town of tomorrow, and that's what celebration is. I believe we can build a community that more people will talk about and come to look at than any other area in the world, where people actually live a life they can't find anywhere else. Bye. Celebration is is really Epcot, I think, in the end, of, in the sense of what Walt was looking for. A really nice place for people to, to really live real lives and have the advantages of, of modern technology and all the things that, that uh, the world of industry can bring us and see things progress and yet have all the old values there at the same time. It's a great community, especially at Easter time, when the kids come together to celebrate the spring. The family is just a very important thing to this community. Our family was in search for the old-fashioned values that are present here in celebration. It's the, the best of the past and the best of the future. Easter celebration continues in a moment. Plus, a visit to the brand new Disney's wide world of sports. So stay with us.
This is Dominic, and welcome to another edition of Disney's Short Leash. If you're new to this segment, a short leash isn't a 24th century redneck tractor beam. No, the short leash is a series of tips for people to get the most out of their Walt Disney World vacation when they are short on time or short on money. With any luck, you may be able to try some of these suggestions and quite possibly do as much, if not more, than someone vacationing with a greater amount of time or a larger budget. Today, I want to talk about walking the three-park chill. As I have stated many times, like SEAL Team 6 minus any heroics, I'm a member of a park assault family. We rightly consider park tickets to be an expensive time bomb. Every minute the park is open is a minute we paid for, and as such we try to do as much as we can. Also, we try to do things we can't do anywhere else. Eat at a nice restaurant, I could do that at home. Relax at a nice hotel or resort, Disney does that well, but I could certainly do that without being in a theme park. Call me crazy, but if I decide to go to a theme park, I'm probably there to partake in the stuff I can't do anywhere else. However, a few years back, I took a trip with my parents, and all they wanted to do is walk around and eat. So for people like them, those strolling foragers, I present to you a leisurely three-park walk where you can get a relaxing taste of Hollywood Studios, Epcot, and the Magic Kingdom. Now you can do some of this trip on a boat if your feet get tired and you will need the monorail, but thankfully, for your sense of smell, no bus will be needed. Armed with a park hopper ticket, you can do this route from either direction. You can start at the Magic Kingdom and end up in Hollywood Studios or vice versa. The Magic Kingdom is often open latest, so it makes a great last stop. However, I might be in the minority, but I enjoy the fireworks at Hollywood more than the Magic Kingdom, and you might also be able to catch Fantasmic. So for our walkabout today, we'll start the Magic Kingdom and end up at Hollywood Studios. In fact, let's make this a one-day three-park dining event walking tour. We're actually going to start at the Contemporary Resort and have a character breakfast at Chef Mickey's, so book that reservation early and break out the Benjamins. After you've had all you care to enjoy of the food and the Fab Five, take a stroll on the path to the Magic Kingdom. That's right, folks, there is a path you can walk right there. I guess you can hop the monorail if you're in the latter stage of food coma, but come on. All you can eat bacon is the definition of walking fuel, right? That's what my cardiologist says. So walk up the path and spend a leisurely morning at the Magic Kingdom, and come lunchtime, hop the monorail to Epcot. Stroll through Epcot and have lunch at, well, anywhere. It's hard to go wrong. Pick a country and eat it. Once you are culinarily and culturally satisfied, walk out the back of Epcot through the International Gateway towards the boardwalk. Now, Epcot unofficially stands for every person comes out tired, so your blisters may have blisters at this point, and your inner thighs may be redder than Mickey Mouse's shorts. So if your feet are failing you, there are a few places between the International Gateway and the Swan and Dolphin resorts where you can hop a boat to Hollywood Studios. However, if you have the stamina and some strategically placed A&D ointment, the boardwalk makes a perfect place to relax, snack, and stroll. After all, we haven't eaten in minutes. Continue walking the boardwalk, enjoying the fictional and better-smelling New Jersey, and head towards the Swan and Dolphin Resort. 
Nearby, there's a walking path that leads you all the way to our final stop, which is Hollywood Studios. Once there, you're forced to make the dining equivalent of Sophie's choice between the 50s primetime cafe and the sci-fi dine-in. My wife is firmly in the camp of the 50s primetime while I stand on the side of righteousness on Team Sci-Fi. One thing that we'll all agree on is after a ride or two, we'll have sixth meal at the Brown Derby while enjoying some fireworks. And maybe we'll catch a fabulous Fantasmic show, despite that unfortunate Pocahontas interlude that brings Act 2 to a screeching halt. There you have it, a calorie-fueled, three-park, mostly walking tour that you can do in one day. It's not an attraction marathon, but not everything has to be. After seven or so meals, maybe a trip on the Tower of Terror is not a good plan for you or your fellow riders anyway. I mean, unless seeing what a post-eaten hamburger looks like in Zero Gravity is your type of Mythbuster experiment, then by all means, go for it. Forget a 5K. Doing a one-day, three-park food Olympic extravaganza. Well, that's short leash, people. I hope you enjoyed the tip. I do have an official Diz Radio email, so I'd love to hear from you with a hi, some questions, suggestions, or even your own short leash tips at dominic at dizradio.com. That's D-O-M-E-N-I-C at dizradio.com. I can also be found on the internet on Twitter at WDWPlantoons and on YouTube and podcast apps by searching WDWPlantoons or go to Plantoons.com. We just posted an entirety of a short leash trip we took over New Year's, so please check it out. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening. Surprised to see me here instead of Santa Claus? Well, I can't say that I blame you since it is Christmas here. Me? Just call me GB for now. Yep, I'm back in time many Christmases ago. And right there in that very house is where our story begins. The story of the first Easter rabbit. And you know, we came within a hair's breadth, if you'll excuse the pun, of never having an Easter rabbit at all. Don't remember, do ya? You know all about Christmas and Christmassy things. Like how Santa came to be. Frosty and Rudolph who guided the sleigh. But how about that rabbit who comes every Easter day? Just growing up, every day is a new discovery. But nothing David Freeman has ever experienced will prepare him for the adventure that lies ahead. Sit down. I think there's been some sort of mistake. Your brain contains data necessary to get me and my friends home. I'm just a kid. 
You are the navigator. Walt Disney Pictures presents a new adventure fantasy. What are you doing? Above and beyond the ordinary. Take me back! Okay. Of the navigator. Do something! You're the navigator, not me. 20,000 feet and falling. Come on, one of these hasn't started. His mind is the key to an adventure on the most fantastic hot rod in the universe. A story of a spaceship. That flying saucer's first rate. Be cool, dudes. A friendship. I'm gonna miss you. I'm going to miss you too. And an experience beyond imagination. Don't you want to take a turnpike? I'm the Navigator. Flight of the Navigator. Disney's new adventure fantasy. Oh, my siestas are getting shorter and shorter. Required voice identification. EC82. Hey gang, it's me again, Jason. Welcome back down here to the vault where we ask that your hands, feet, arms, and legs remain on the couch at all times. I'm so glad you were able to make it back and hopefully you made it back after that bizarre and wild fireside chat. Yes, it was similar to Mr. Toad's Wild Ride, except, well, as I said, all arms, legs, hands, and feet were remaining on the couch at all times, except for the occasional grab for the glass. This week we are back to normal and back to reality as I bring out another DVD and Blu-ray for you to put in your player for this weekend's festivities. Speaking of festivities, that's right, this one takes place on July 4th even better. Who doesn't love fireworks, laser light shows, and the occasional UFO? That's right, I'm delving deep into the archives this week. Well, not so deep as it is only from 1986, but it is a classic nonetheless. Let's get back into the sci-fi that only Disney could produce with the 1986 release, Flight of the Navigator. Take that in your phone box and do whatever you wish with it. And here we meet David Freeman and his brother, Jeff. David's task for the evening, to go pick up his brother, who happened to be at some friends. Why not? But on that mysterious journey, he accidentally falls into a little bit of a problem. Well, it's not a little bit of a problem, it's more like a big ravine, and he's knocked unconscious. Thank goodness he comes back and realizes that something's not right. It's now 1986. Talk about one long sleep. That's eight years for him. And think of all the things that he's missed. The opening of Epcot, the premiere of the Disney Channel, and the release of Tron. But thankfully, he has one place to go, and that's to go home. That is until he realizes his parents look a bit different, and his younger brother is now 16. And David? Well, he's remained the age of 12. If David's problems weren't enough, imagine what NASA's going through. Multiple spacecrafts are starting to down power lines throughout the area. Coincidence? Could be, considering David doesn't have to be taken to just a normal hospital, but a hospital in which NASA researchers will be taking care of him. Hmm, here we go again with that bizarre twist. It seems something's implanted into David's mind. And Dr. Louis Faraday, played by Johnny Fever himself, Howard Hessman, notices that the same spacecrafts that have been plaguing the area have now been uncovered 
in David's mind. Not only are there space-age maps, the spaceship itself, and interesting facts about the galaxies far, far away, you probably could find the recipe for Beverly somewhere hidden in there. And while under observation, David's subconscious mind tells the scientists of an, a planet called Phalion, 560 light years away, and that David is experiencing a sort of sickness because of him traveling from Earth to Phalion and back. Just like a song you can't get out of your head, David wakes up the next morning being nagged by telepathic communication coming from what seems to be one of the alien spacecrafts. David boards it and finds the leader of the ship and soon-to-be friend, Trimaxillion Droid Ship, or Max for short, better known as Pee Wee Herman. And throughout the entire conversation, Max considers David the navigator. Well, of course he is, because he's got a Rand McNally atlas of space and time all in his head. Finding that it's easy to talk with Max and easing his headache in a better way than taking in a leave, Max feels it's time to disembark, or in better terms, flee the facility. It is then Max tells David all about the mission that's going on, to travel across the galaxy, collect specimens, and take them back to Phalion. And soon, starting to sound like a lecture by Neil deGrasse Tyson, Max lets him know that Phalion scientists believe only 10% of a human brain is used. That's why David was an easy flask to fill with all of the information. Basically, David holds the key to Phalion's fate and the thriving nature to make it a livable planet again. It's there Max also explains why David was taken out of time, used him only for good, and basically helped their scientists determine that the hu a human body would be able to survive the trip back home. The unfortunate thing, Max accidentally crashed a ship, causing the, all of the computer's star charts and data to be destroyed. Therefore, Max needed David to come back so that Max could return home. Easy enough, Max can do anything because, well, he's Pee-wee. He can do anything. He can fly a ship in Star Tours. He can even ride a little red bike. What's most amazing is that Max is going to transfer everything out of David's mind into the ship. While preparing for surgery, or at least some type of mind meld, David is introduced to Puckmarin, the last of the species on the planet. Eight only remaining, and all in Max's possession. As the mind meld begins, David, being a human, has added a little bit of the emotions that are a part of being human. Therefore, Max, being all mechanical, adds a little bit of humanity and becomes a little more not quite human. So now that Max and David are nearly one and the same person, it's almost as if they're a married couple trying to argue over who can drive the car better. And while doing so, have caused many UFO sightings throughout the world. It is then Carrie Bradshaw, I mean Carolyn McAdams, played by the most ever gorgeous Sarah Jessica Parker, lets David's family know about David's escape, the recent sightings of the UFO, and what needs to happen to them. They must be quarantined. Because, of course, you have to follow the ET model. Everything goes well, everything's going to be perfect, and then humans decide that everybody's got to be wrapped up in plastic. After many misgivings, Max and David finally make it closer to home, where David is allowed to call Jeff to try to find out where the family is. 
Jeff lets them know by setting off fireworks from the top of the house. They rush over, but those pesky NASA agents know exactly where they are. Of course they're tracking them. I mean, this is even pre-Hubble telescope. Max realizes he has all the information he needs, but has bonded with David and has become a good friend. And David realizes that if he were to stay with Max, or go back to Phaleon, or stay in 1986, that his life may not be as enjoyable as it could be and decides to tell Max that he wants to go back home, real back home, to 1978. Max warns him that this could be a little bit of a danger, considering it could cause him death. Well, that just seals the fate right there. David is going to do it, and he does. And safely, David wakes up again in the ravine, walking home, and realizing it's 4th of July, 1978, all over again. But this time, the fireworks are joined with a streak of Max in the air, and a Puck Marin in David's backpack. Released on August 1st, 1986, Flight of the Navigator was, again, one of those live-action Disney productions that were trying to make the company a little more appealing to the teen audience. Flight of the Navigator came out and, of course, proved to be a great success. The special effects themselves are an enjoyable part to any sci-fi film, and of course, with this CGI work, coupled with the puppeteering, as well as the story, truly makes Flight of the Navigator an enjoyable film to watch. Now, there is a Blu-ray version out there, and if you are able to get it, I suggest putting, getting your hands on it. Although, I will warn you this, regardless of if you buy it on DVD, on Blu-ray, or watch it streaming, it is a direct transfer, meaning it's coming directly from the film, onto disc, or whichever means you're watching. Which means you're going to see a lot of grain and a lot of frames that look dirty or blotchy. Don't let that frighten you. It does add so much character to the film. The sound, again, when it was created, we were only dealing with very limited stereo sound. There is no true mix other than what was given from the transfer. So take it as, as you will. If you are getting this on Blu-ray or DVD, there is one special feature. It is the audio commentary. They are always enjoyable, and it is with Randall and executive producer Jonathan Sanger. You can definitely tell that they had an affinity for old space films and adventure in that final frontier. If you are a person who loves E.T., you're going to love this film. It harkens back to a lost boy and a lost alien trying to find their means of home. Go into it with an open mind. You will truly find that this was definitely a lost treasure down here in the vault. So I'm going to place this one under N for NASA, and I will see you again next week with another blue for you to view down here in the vault. If we haven't scared you away from our fireside chat, come and enjoy the conversation. Jason at DizRadio.com. I'd love to hear your comments, questions, concerns, maybe even want to suggest a film that you haven't watched in a while and would like my comedic take on it, as well as my review. So until then, gang, remember, the magic of Disney movies is always a trip down to the Florida Keys in 1978 and always deep inside of you. The Navigator, you are the Navigator and his crew. Are on the mission of a lifetime. 20,000 feet and falling. 
series, Flight of the Navigator. Starts August 1st at a famous players and other selected... Lights, camera, action. It's time for this week's Disney On Demand special guest. All right, all of you Disney fans, you tuned in for another magical installment of Disney Blues, Disney On Demand. And with us this week, as we continue to bring you the magic and memories from your lifetime of Disney, many times those are ones you've experienced in the theaters, in the theme parks, and on television. And with us here this week is somebody that's no stranger to any of those. He's brought such classics to life as Grease, Honey, I Blew Up the Kid, White Fang, Flight of the Navigator, Honey, I Shrunk the Audience, and so much more. We have none other than the director himself, Randall Kleiser here. Welcome to Disney On Demand. Thank you. Hi. How are you doing? It is our pleasure having you on. I mean, somebody with your resume that can, it continues to impress with so many great classics under your belt. I guess with that, jumping right into it right away, I guess, how did you get started in directing and, you know, wanting to be a director, you know, as, as now a career? When I was uh, around 12, I started making movies in uh, 8 millimeter. It was before Super 8. And uh, I wanted very much to become a director. And uh, when I was 18, I came to Los Angeles because uh, I was accepted by the University of Southern California Film Department. And when I arrived, uh, I met uh, another guy who was just showing up for, from Modesto, California, named George Lucas. And the two of us started our careers together and ended up being roommates. And I worked as an actor in, in George's very first wind-up Bolex film. Well, you know, and now this has been fruitful for you for all these years. And of course, you know, touching base right away with the classic Grease. You know, everybody loves Grease. It continues to go on and on. It is one of those classic movies that everybody loves. Even though it's on Broadway and they've re redone it on television live and whatnot, nothing lives up to that original classic. What was it like tackling, you know, a musical adventure at that time with, you know, Olivia Newton-John and John Travolta? And I guess, what was your vision originally, you know, looking at this film? Like, how am I going to tackle this musical and really just capture something fun in the essence? And of course, the hand jive. I was very excited about doing Grease because uh, I went to Chicago to see a version of it and and really, really loved the exuberance that I saw. I had just worked with John Travolta on a TV movie called Boy in the Plastic Bubble, so we were friends, and when they asked him who he would like to have direct Grease, he, he brought my name up, and that's one of the reasons I got it. The other reason was that I was from a generation that uh, understood the 50s because I was a little kid during that time and and I I had grown up watching people like Sid Caesar and uh, Eve Arden and all those people that we cast as 50s icons in the movie so yeah it was it was a great experience doing Greece and and actually the 40th anniversary is coming up next year and we're planning some stuff at Paramount I hope I'm going to talk to them later today to find out what we have in mind. Well, you know, and with that, like you said, 40th anniversary, it continues to go on as this legacy in film that gets passed on to generations. I mean, I've shown it to my children and they love it. Looking back at this film, is there any one scene or one moment in that film that still, when you look back, you are just, it's that proudest moment where you're like, that was a fun scene to shoot and it still is one of my favorite things. I think probably You're the One That I Want was was the one that, that uh, had the most impact because uh, it's where we reveal Olivia's new look as the the uh, sort of crazy Sandy that's that's turned into a, uh, a wild lady, and um, you know the way we did the makeup and the hair uh, and the uh, costume was all very very different from how she ever looked before, and uh, 
our costume designer Albert uh, made an amazing job, and and I just think that that song too really was my favorite. Uh, when we showed up on the set, Pat Birch, the choreographer, and I had no real idea where we were going to shoot it, and we looked around at the carnival um, elements and saw the tunnel of love and said, let's look in there. And we went in and looked around and said, well, maybe you could do it here. It was so unplanned. You know, it was like uh, done that day, and, and the fact that it turned out so well uh, shows how good a improvisational choreographer Pat Birch is, and, and it just came together so easily. Well, you know, and, and before we move on to some other things, too, I mean, I guess looking at Greece and this film, ha- does it ever shock you realizing that, you know, it is this beloved classic that people love and they continue to watch it and thrive on it? I guess, I guess when you look back at it, are you just amazed at the longevity that this film has had an impact in cinematic history? Well, not only how long it's lasted, but how many cultures it seems to work in, because when we shot it, I, I thought, you know, this would only work in America because there are all kind of references that nobody really outside of America would get, I thought. And when we showed it for the first time in Paris, I was sort of like nervous, but then I saw the audience reaction and I thought, wow, this this really did, did travel across the ocean. Uh, but it seems to work everywhere, which is really strange. I mean, there's things in there like, uh, you're no stranger to heartbreak, which he says about psoriasis. That's from an old commercial from the 50s. Uh, the heartbreak of psoriasis. It was some kind of a, a medication that you put on your foot or something. <laughs> and that was thrown <laughs> in by, by our producer, Alan Carr. And I thought, well, no one's going to get that. And nobody did, but it didn't seem to matter. Well, you know, and like I said, it continues to, you know, go on in, in history, in cinematic history, and is referenced, and everybody loves this classic. But, you know, moving forward into the Disney realm, which I know our listeners are, are waiting to hear about, and you've been part of so many great Disney films, Flight of the Navigator, Honey, I Blew Up the Kid, White Fang. I guess in some of these films, I guess starting off with, like, Flight of the Navigator, what was it like, you know, working on this film that was, you know, kind of side sci-fi different at this time in the 80s where practical effects were used many of the times you know how did you tackle you know an entirely different genre with space age than you did with greece i always loved sci-fi movies and horror films mostly sci-fi i I really really loved them and i love special effects i wanted to make some special effect that had not ever been done before and my brother jeff is a a visual effects supervisor so i went to him and said, what's new? What what hasn't been done? And he showed me a Tide commercial where the, the Tide bottle changed shape. And then um, I also saw in a book about the future of special effects uh, a, a, something called reflectance mapping, where you take the background of, uh, of an image and you wrap it onto a computer-generated shape, and it looks like it's reflective, you know, like it's a mirror. So I, I said, look, can we put these two t- things together, the changing shape and the reflectance mapping, and turn it into a rocket ship that that's mirrored and flies and changes shape? And, and that's what we did. And, and then later, I think the next year, James Cameron used that technique for Terminator 2 for the bad guy. Well, you know, and with Flight of the Navigator, like you said, it was something new and cutting edge, and that ship was iconic. I mean, everybody loved that kind of ship. Now, I guess, what drew you into wanting to direct this film? Was it the story? Um, You know, did you just find it just as amazing and compelling as a great family fun adventure film? Well, anybody who has a brother can understand the idea and the concept of, of going through time and coming back and having 
the uh, younger brother become the older brother. I mean, that's a concept I don't think has been done in any other movie, as I, as I can remember. But it's something that anybody who has a brother can can think about and and wonder about, and, and it's intriguing. And so I thought that was a great theme. The whole idea of the family that's that's changed, the, the time that's gone by, and how they've all changed. It's actually something that I'm I'm exploring again in this virtual reality series that I'm doing right now called Defrost where a woman has been frozen for 30 years and wakes up and meets her family who've all changed. They've gotten older. So it's a similar theme to Flight of the Navigator. Well, you know, and that's a concept, like you said, it's something where everybody wonders, what if, you know, if you are now the the young one and, you know, everybody has taken this different kind of role. And like you said, exploring something like that is definitely unique and different. And, uh, you know, that film, like I said, has everybody loves it. It's part of that Disney live-action classics of the 80s that everybody really loves. And with all those, too, you've also been so far over the spectrum. You've worked, you know, on sets with animals and what, and what, and White Fang, which is a fantastic book. Uh, what was it like working on that kind of set where you're in this, you know, you know, Old West kind of, you know, out there setting? Well, we were shooting that on location in Alaska where Jack London wrote the stories that are in the White Fang and, and uh, the other one, um, uh, his other classic, Call of the Wild. <clears throat> and we, we have references to Call of the Wild and White, in, in White Fang, but we were shooting in uh, 40 degrees below zero at times with wolves out in the, in the, in the snow. Uh, today, if White Fang were remade, it would probably be done with CGI wolves. Um, because you know the animal rights people would probably well not not them actually we 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 didn't hurt any wolves at all during the making of it but um, I think just from a financial point of view it's probably cheaper to do digital wolves than to hire all the animal trainers over a period of time to get them trained to do what we needed we raised baby cub wolves uh, and trained them for six months to do some of the stunts that we had in that movie. And today that would not be done. That would just be done digitally. Well, you know, but it's things like that to me that I feel accomplish something. It accomplishes something way bigger than, you know, getting something digitally. And that's what makes this film so endearing and lasting because it is, it's real. It's, it's as real as it can be. Now, in looking at this film, is there one part of that storyline that is still the most touching to you? Because it's, it's full of so much heart, so much passion. It's such a great film. Was there any part of that where it really did touch you and you hope you were hoping to convey that to the audience? Well, yes, I think it was the the death of the mother uh, wolf and the little baby cub who is uh uh howling uh in the snow after she dies i mean it's it's kind of reminds me of Bambi, you know when the mother's shot but um that was done so beautifully by our second unit cameraman Gary Capo and uh our, all of our great animal trainers i mean i don't I really wasn't on the set when that was shot, but because uh, we were doing some dialogue scenes, but that was a second unit sequence, and I, I think it's one of the best moments in the film, uh, and it's supported by Basil Polidorus' amazing score that really breaks your heart when you see that little that little cub howling over the, his dead mother. Definitely, and like you said, it does reference back to that almost like that Bambi-esque kind of feel. Now, I guess with that, you know, you've been all over the spectrum, you know, from the future 
to, you know, working with animals, to musicals. And of course, that's going to lead me up to, you know, I guess, uh, machines and inventions. And of course, Honey, I Blew Up the Kid. Uh, what was it like jumping into a franchise now where, you know, they had the first film, they wanted a great sequel and working with, you know, great people like Rick Moranis and, you know, of course, new special effects again, as now you have this giant child stomping through cities. Yeah, well, they did a test uh, for Honey, I Blew Up the Kid, where they went to Las Vegas and they had a, a, a thousand people run through the streets and then they put the baby, the giant baby in it, walking through the street. And Jeff Katzenberg showed that test to me and said, do you want to do this movie? And I, I just loved those kind of old monster movies and so I, that's what that's what made me want to do it, being able to shoot the, scene, the big special effects scenes in Vegas. And when we did that, we had like, you know, we went back to Vegas and, and got the thousand extras again. And I invited my parents to come out and my aunt and uncle. And they flew out to to um, to Las Vegas and, and, and were running through the streets. And we had giant shoes and legs of the baby built and brought in on cranes to Vegas in the <laughs> middle of the street. Now, this would also not be done today. This would be done digitally because... Um, that it just would not make sense uh, financially to to do that. But we we had the giant sneakers that were the size of uh, a truck. Each sneaker was the size of a truck, and the the legs that went up and and two cranes to make them walk through the street. This this would never be done again. And it was, I'm glad that I got to do it. Uh, I felt like Cecil B. DeMille on a big set with on a big crane. Uh, up in the middle of the, the street, high up, and with all these thousands of people <laughs> below. It was really fun. Well, you know, and like you said, working with something like that and these throwbacks to the old movies, like Attack of the 50-Foot Woman and things like that, did they really prove to be a lot of great inspiration for you in making this film? Oh, sure, yeah. I mean, as a kid, I loved the sci-fi movies, and to be able to do one and to be, like I said, up on a crane with uh, all, all these effects and stuff was, was, was a dream come true. Now, I guess with that, too, because that film ended up being such a great success everybody loved it it's you know one of the live action disney classics as i've mentioned you've been part of so you've been part of so many of those i guess you also went on to do the attraction honey i shrunk the audience uh where you had the pleasure of meeting one of our our past guests in brian toe but with that you know going into an attraction and now you're going into like a 4d kind of sensory attraction how different is it tackling something like that where it's going to literally interact with your audience well that got me interested in the whole field of virtual reality because uh, when you put an audience into a situation where they're feeling stuff and, and water spraying on them and vibrators and tickle tickling their feet and and 3d and all that it, it, it's a whole different thing it's much more immersive than than a regular movie so I, I got very excited by the idea of, of of starting to work in that field which is so different from from uh, just a regular movie. And so, uh, yeah, it was great. But we had a 500-seat theater that all moved on a big motion base, and we had uh, uh, things that tickled the legs of the of the, character, of the audience. And um, it was a blast to, to experiment in that. And also to shoot in 70-millimeter film uh, 3D, which, which I think also is an, a bygone thing now today. That is all done digitally. But I got to work with 70 millimeter 3D, which which was the biggest format in film that that well I guess IMAX is bigger, but 
this uh, was fun to do, to work in that format. Well, you know, and, and filming in 3D, too, how different is it from when you're filming one of the other films, like Honey, I Blew Up the Kid or White Fang, um, you know, where you are you have to keep in mind that, okay, this is going to be jetting out, this is going to be shooting at the audience. Does it take a lot more planning to figure out those scenes, knowing that the effects are going to come later? Absolutely, because when you're watching in 3D, you can't have things out of focus. Everything has to be sharp, because the audience can look anywhere they want, and they, if you want it to look real, it's got to be uh, sharp. So in order to shoot Honey I, Shrunk, Honey, I Shrunk the Audience, we actually had to shoot every scene in three layers, like the background layer we shot and then the foreground layer where the, where the big characters would be talking to the audience, and then the, the final layer was the, the shrunken person in the foreground who was talking to the big person. So... Those three layers had to all be in sync, and so we had to do it with stopwatches and timing so that when the when the big person on the second layer said, uh, what's going on, and the, 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 the person on the third layer said, well, I'm shrunk, <laughs> that it all came out at the right time. So it was very, very complicated. Well, you know, and with that, though, the effects itself then, you know, really was a great experience. I had the chance to experience that attraction a variety of times. Now, when you went through there and watched that as opposed to other film premieres, um, were you watching it just almost like a new kid as well, just excited to see that final product in the theater? Yes, because I brought in my family, my, my, my parents and my brothers and their kids, and we all went, uh, Disney flew us uh, to the attraction and we had a big party. It was, and so I was, yes, watching it like with the audience. And the first time it was shown, of course, nobody knew what to expect. And when the, when the mice came out of the machine and tickled the audience's feet, they, everyone was screaming and yelling and it, it was a blast. A lot of fun. I've had a lot of fun with Disney. Well, you know, and with that, looking over all your films, you know, like we've just touched base upon, uh, you know, with that, are there any moments from any of these films that are ones that are going to live down in your memories forever, whether that was just something special working on the set or people you got to work with or, you know, little moments like that where when you write those memoirs and, you know, they're like, all right, here's here's Randall's book. You want to make sure it's in there. Actually, I am writing a book right now, and uh, I, I'm trying to think of what uh, what are the top things at, at Disney. I'm thinking probably... I think probably when I was in Honey, I uh, uh, let's see, Honey, I uh, blew up the kid when we were in Vegas, and I was talking about that moment with the crane. I I asked the crane, the the cameraman, if I could uh, uh, put my mother on the crane and put her up on the uh, and, and rise her up above the street in with the camera on the crane. And that moment must have been most the most fun because she was up there with thousands of people below her and. <laughs> It was just a great moment to give my mom. Well, you know, and with a lot of these, too, like you said, so many different moments like that, you know, it's a moment for your mom. And, of course, you're part of this Disney catalog that everybody loves. You know, like I said, from White Fang, Flight of the Navigator, Honey, I Blew Up the Kid, all the way through the theme parks with Honey, I Shrunk the Audience. Now, when it comes to something like Disney, and, of course, with the addition of Grease, which isn't Disney, but with those kind of films, they don't get lost. You know, Disney fans continue to thrive off of the classics and these are disney classics i guess what is it like knowing that people never forget these and are, are there any of these m movies from disney that everybody approaches you with and you've kind of touched their life and you're like you know i just love that film it was this moment in my life have you ever encountered any of those kind of fans yeah mostly with flight of the navigator because uh people who were that age 12 years old during that time that's 86 i think it was um they've all grown up and some of them are 
working in the studios, and they, they have that memory, a solid memory of that. And so I think that's the one that I hear about the most, you know. Definitely. I mean, like you said, it's one of those where you've probably touched so many different people's lives on different aspects and things like that. Now, I guess not slowing down, you continually you know, are working on stuff. Now, you also kind of hinted at what you're working on now. Can you allude a little bit more as to any of that current project that you're working on? Well, based on the fact that I did Honey, I Shrunk the Audience, I then did a thing for the U.S. Army, which was a virtual reality simulator for soldiers going to Afghanistan where they were put through a, a, live, a life-size Humvee with movie screens around it and motion base, very similar to Honey, I Shrunk the Audience, where they would then experience an explosion. And this was uh, done with special effects, and it gave the soldiers a chance to... Um, uh, see what that was like. So if it ever did happen to them, they didn't stagger out and, and get hit by snipers. So that was very, very effective. And a lot of soldiers said that they went through it and then had a real event happen and they were able to function. So that was one thing I did uh, that, that led to. And the second thing is uh, the the idea of this virtual reality project I'm working on now, which is a 12-part series. It's Each one is five minutes. It will be downloadable from the Internet onto your phone and you'll be able to see these 12 stories in virtual reality 3D uh, about and where you portray this woman. You become the woman. You look down, you see yourself in a, in a wheelchair, and you, all your family comes up to you and starts talking to you real close in 3D, and it looks just like they're there. And uh, so this is a, a new kind of cutting-edge type of filmmaking that I really, really enjoy. It's taking it to the next step. And uh, we're taking it to the Cannes Festival um, in, in May. Well, you know, in virtual reality and something like that, it just seems like it's going to be an amazing story. And like you said, a 12-part series. So somebody's going to be able to get their fill and really enjoy this and really encompass it. Now, I know we're, we know you're busy. you got a lot of different things on your plate. And we're just going to touch base on one last thing here that we forgot to that one of our listeners wanted us to make sure we ask about. And, of course, that's... Working with, you know, Paul Rubens, Pee Wee Herman, because you worked with him on Flight of the Navigator since he was the voiceover, you know, of the ship, but also in Big Top Pee Wee. Uh, what was it like doing this really, I guess, campy, fun, cutesy, you know, family kind of movie? Well, that was a, a blast because we had a whole circus that we hired and, and we got a lot of fun actors to come and, 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 and be in it, including Benicio Del Toro's very first role in a movie, which was the dog face boy. And, um, Paul was uh, was you know wrote it and starred in it, so it was fun working with him, and it was another sort of fairly large budget for me, you know. And and we shot it all at the Disney Ranch out in um, uh, the valley somewhere, <laughs> and uh, so we it was another Disney connection, even though it wasn't a Disney movie. It was Paramount, but um, that was a lot of fun. The other movie that I also often get asked about is The Blue Lagoon, which I did for uh, uh, who was that? Oh, Columbia Pictures, yeah. that That's been another one that people always come up to me and say, wow, that changed my life because I learned a lot about myself from that movie. You know, I remember watching Blue Lagoon for the first time and... I, it was one of those surreal kind of moments because I was in that transition stage in my life, you know, <laughs> slowly becoming a teenager watching this kind of movie. <laughs> that's, that's the type of co comments I get. 
Well, we like I said, we know you're busy, so many different things on the horizon. So before we let you go, for all of your fans out there, people who you've touched over the years with all of your films, movies, attractions, you name it, is there anything you'd like to leave out there for all the fans listening in, fans of Randall and, you know, people whose lives you've touched and they pass on these movies to their children and their families as well? Uh, well, I would just say watch for Defrost coming on, you'll see it online somewhere. If you just, in a few months, Google Defrost. VR, it'll show up, and uh, I hope that everyone loves it. Definitely. Well, it's our pleasure having you stop in, Randall, take this trip down memory lane and into the future, and thanks for all the memories and, you know, passing it on for so many different generations and making that magic happen. So thanks once again for stopping in. Okay, man. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Brilliant inventor Wayne Selinski is back, and this time he's about to make the biggest scientific breakthrough of his career. Some lab. We're better than what we had in the attic, huh? And once again, he's sharing the experience with his kids. Power surge! Yeah. <laughs> right, I confess, I did it! Did what? Pick a bell! I blew up the baby! <gasps> Mama! Walt Disney Pictures presents a little family crisis. Adam, put daddy down! Stop before someone gets hurt! That's getting bigger. Oh my god, he's out. And bigger. He's over 100 feet tall. You stop right now! What's that? It's a tranquilizer cannon. That's my kid you're talking about! I'd have to insist that these two be taken into custody. The chase is on. The excitement is building. Move it! Fire! And the adventure is bigger than ever. Moranis. Honey, I blew up the kid. Hello all, this is Thomas Brown, and you're listening to Disney On Demand. Hey there, D-Heads. Paige here with an all-new Magical Music Review. Easter is upon us, so I decided to take a look for a soundtrack that could work for a springtime theme, and I ended up pulling a soundtrack off the 1940s shelf in my Disney Music Library. Released in 1942, Bambi was the fifth animated feature film released by Walt Disney Pictures. The soundtrack was written by Disney veterans Frank Churchill and Edward H. Plum. The film itself earned three Academy Award nominations, including one for Best Original Music Score and Best Original Song for the film's opening number, Love is a Song. I have our selections queued up and ready to go, so let's waste no time. Follow me to the forest as we meet the little prince and his friends to enjoy the soundtrack of Walt Disney's animated masterpiece, Bambi. Probably the most remembered song from the film outside of the opening number came in the middle of a rainy night. Little April Showers is performed by the Disney Studio Chorus, who would become a soundtrack staple for a large majority of the early Disney soundtracks. The instrumentation at the beginning is fairly simple, with a clarinet playing a single note, slowly adding more notes and quickening the tempo, imitating the start of a rain shower. Joined by triangle, flute, and violins in the instrumentation, the chorus is backed by a light piano dynamic from the instruments. As the middle of the song arrives, the sound darkens and the chorus no longer has words for lyrics, but instead adds to the creation of the storm by imitating the wind. Trumpets and cymbals are also prominently added to the mix to increase the intensity of the thunderstorm, before once again returning to the light instrumentation and lyrics to end the rain shower. Shower, 
When Bambi first goes with his mother to the meadow, they are treated to the sight of all the stags in the forest running about. Gallop of the stags is very triumphant in sound as the stags burst forth from the trees and bound through the meadow. Brass, high and low, play a prominent role in the instrumentation along with percussions and violins, announcing the arrival and presence of the stags to the scene. The song then blends into the Great Prince of the Forest, as the audience is first introduced to Bambi's father. The Great Prince arrives in the meadow and the music drops in dynamic and urgency, but holds its intensity as the lower voices give a full, rich sound to signify the magnitude of the Great Prince's presence watching over the animals of the forest. The Disney Studio Chorus also plays a part in the instrumentation near the end of the selection. What would a Disney animated film be without a little romance for our prince? In the latter half of the film, Bambi, now all grown up, re-meets his childhood friend, Feline. Bambi promptly becomes Twitterpated and he and Feline fall in love. 
Looking for Romance is also credited to the Disney Studio Chorus, though this time their chorus also selected a solo for a man and a woman to sing, portraying our two loves on screen. The song remains light, floating in the sound with violins and woodwinds, keeping the mood romantic and fantasy-based. One of the shorter Disney love songs, it cannot be overlooked. my time for this week is up. Thank you all for coming back every week to Disney On Demand and for sticking around for another magical music review. I know this week is Easter, and if you've been with us for a few years or hit the archives, you'll know this Sunday is very special to many of us here at Diz Radio. Easter Sunday holds a lot of tradition with it, from the egg hunts and baskets full of chocolate from the Easter Bunny, to the Easter dinner, to the sunrise services held in the early hours of Sunday morning to watch the sunrise along with the reading of the Rising of Jesus. I personally will be returning home to celebrate Easter with my family and church family, and with moving in May, this could be my last Easter in my home church for quite a while. But it's not about the building you spend your Easter in. It's not about the city or the proximity to your loved ones. No matter where you or your family are, you can celebrate Easter together. You don't all have to be in the same building. God's church is all over. As I said last year, even if we come from different denominations, we are still celebrating the same one this coming Sunday. We are all celebrating the rising of Jesus and all have the shared blessing that he died for our sins so that we may be given the chance to continue our walks with him and someday join him in heaven. So no matter who you are spending this Easter with and no matter where you are, give thanks and praise for the one who saved us all. Find your koinonia and celebrate that he has risen. Have a wonderful rest of your week, D-Heads, and I'll see you next time. Happy Easter, D-Heads. What does springtime mean to you? Spring cleaning day. No way! Springtime means... All the flowers are blooming. <laughs> we get to go hunt Easter eggs! Makes me feel downright peaceful. <laughs> are you ready for your very first Easter egg hunt? You bet! 
Join Winnie the Pooh. My tummy and I have been so looking forward to this day. And his friends in an all-new movie. The grandest Easter ever. How exciting. Winnie the Pooh. Springtime with Rue. Sounds awfully festive. Are you excited for another Pirates of the Caribbean movie franchise coming out this summer? Well, May 27th is the big debut of the new Pirates of the Caribbean movie called Dead Men Tales No Tales. Of course, we're excited to see all the new familiar characters coming into this movie franchise as well, returning familiar faces as Will Turner, for example, of course, Captain Jack Sparrow, Captain Barbosa, and many others. With the partnership with Disney and Joy City, it's bringing this new wonderful multiplayer online experience via iPhone and iPad devices, and it will be available later this summer as it gets ready to the set on sales for the new movie coming out this year. The game is called Pirates of the Caribbean Tides of War. Of course, it's inspired by the blockbuster fan- fantasy swashbuckling films which in itself was inspired by a Disneyland dark ride over in California. This game invites you to embark on various adventures on the high seas with Captain Jack Sparrow, many familiar characters from the movie, Will Turner, Elizabeth Swan, Captain Jack Barbosa, and many others. Essentially, this Pirates of the Caribbean mobile game is a naval combat or MMO or to make it more fun, sounding like a pirate war game. The graphics are really intense for a multiplayer online version for the game itself, and this role will take you on being a captain, drop of wonderful sneak attack schemes, pillage other pirate players from around the world. This will entitle you to think up a variety of strategies, accomplishing uh, many of different sorts of tasks, such as ship construction and even troop training. 
Pirates of the Caribbean mobile game will also allow you to join a pirate alliance with other players to mobilize your crews against other sea raiders or increase your chances to defeat the supernatural sea creatures of the deep ocean. Pirates of the Caribbean Tides of War is developed by Joy City, a South Korean studio behind Oceans Empires and War Battleship 3D World World War II. You can be also assured that it is made by the folks who knows a thing or two of naval warfare gaming. Ansi Joe of the Chief Executive Operator of Joy City said, We're confident in this mobile game will align with the quality of high entertainment value that the fans have come to expect from the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise. Players will be able to experience the same fun and excitement from the game as they felt like they're from the movies from in themselves. Pirates of the Caribbean Tides of the War is set to be released in May of this year, presumably in the time of the, the theatrical release of the fifth film of the Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man Tells No Tales. Now, if you're interested of trying this mobile game, you can pre-register your email address by going to the game's official website. The, the website is Tides of War, that's one word, dot joycity.com backslash en. Again, the website is Tides of War dot joycity.com backslash en. By pre registering, you'll be notified as soon as the game is available for download from the App Store. Also, you'll get exclusive rewards that you can use in the game itself. Before I conclude this segment, I want to wish all our D-Heads a happy Easter, uh, wishing you the best as we um, take a moment to be with our friends and family during this Easter holiday break. As if it's going to be Easter hunts, or Easter, watching Easter shows, or attending a church service for Easter, let us not forget the whole meaning behind Easter, and wishing you all guys a safe and wonderful Easter holiday. Well, this is Randy signing out for Disney Multimedia. Be sure to keep your eyes, ears, and senses alerted with the latest Disney Multimedia around you. Until then, see you next time. Hey, D-Heads, you're listening to Disney On Demand. Wow, it's dark in here. Wow, and now it's too bright. Taking you on those magical journeys from your lifetime of Disney. Kari, Kari McKean. It's like Carrie only with a K instead of a C and an A instead of an E and only one R and an I instead of an I. It's Disney On Demand. Well, it started out like any normal sitting gig. You know, with the reassuring of the parent and all. Here's your host, Jonathan Johnson. I just wish I could forget the whole thing. You will, kid. You will. Alright, all you D-heads, so I am back, and I hope you enjoyed this week's show. Lots of fun things, and I want to extend a very special thank you once again to the talented, the iconic Randall Kleiser for stopping in here and chatting with all of us here at the show. Randall, you have played such a huge role in many movie memories that I have, from Grease, White Fang, Flight of the Navigator, and so many more. And I know that we're going to be on the lookout for that upcoming project of yours as well. So thank you, Randall, for all the great memories and stopping in here during our Easter celebration. I'd also like to thank the DT of Aaron, Dominic, Paige, Randy, and Jason all stopping in here this week with their signature segments. Without the D-Team stopping in here, you'd have nothing more than me rambling week in and week out every single week. And trust me, that would get very old and very tiring. And most of all, thank you the D-Heads. Without you, there would be no show. We just recently celebrated our seven-year anniversary, and we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you the D-Heads. Spreading the word, making the love, and helping us 
bring that magic and memories from your lifetime of Disney to you every single week. So all VD heads, with that said, as we're getting ready to search for those Easter eggs, get our Easter baskets, Peter Cottontail's hopping down that bunny trail, I do want to give you all the different ways that you can stay connected here at the show. And first and foremost, you can always visit our official website at DizRadio.com. That's D-I-Z-Radio.com. There you can find our full list of past shows, the complete podcast archives, our latest news blogs, and more right there on our official website at DizRadio.com, D-I-Z-Radio.com. You can also connect up with us all over the social media outlets on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Disney On Demand. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, and many other places. Just search Disney Blue, that's B-L-U, Diz Radio, D-I-Z Radio, or Disney On Demand, all of which are going to help you find our fun, unique, magical, different kind of Disney show. And remember, if you just can't wait, you want to stay connected, you need the shows instantly to enjoy. It's super easy. All you have to do is go to iTunes or Stitcher Radio and subscribe right there. Just search Disney On Demand, Disney Blue, or Diz Radio, and subscribe and get the latest shows for your iPhone, your Android, your tablet, you name it. Pick your device, and you can get it instantly as soon as they get released for the magic and my voice rambling in your ears. So definitely check it out through iTunes and Stitcher Radio. And remember, if you can't remember any of these links, all you have to do is go to DizRadio.com, D-I-Z-Radio.com, and find all of these links there as well, along with other ways to stay connected with myself and the D-Team. So, all of you D-Heads, with that said, we know you are ready to have that fun, that magic, and make those memories with your families here this weekend with Easter break, spring break, and so much more. So, as I always say, take time, slow down, and never neglect family for business. Until next week, all of you D-Heads, have a magical, happy Easter, and make the most, make the memories, and make the magic happen. Until next week, all of you D-Heads, have a fantastic Easter. With all the frills upon it, you'll be the grandest lady in the Easter parade. I'll be all in clover, and when they look you over, I'll be the proudest fella in the Easter parade on the avenue. Fifth Avenue The photographers will snap us And you'll find that you're In the road to grab your oh, I could write a sonnet About your Easter bonnet And of the girl I'm taking To the Easter parade On the avenue, Fifth Avenue, the photographers will snap us, and you'll find that you're in the road to gravure. Oh, I could write a sonnet about your Easter bonnet. And of the girl I'm taking 
Thank you for tuning in to Disney Blues, Disney On Demand. The content and thoughts expressed are those of the show and not the Disney company. Now go on and relive the magic, memories, and appreciation from your lifetime of Disney. See you real soon.